With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to your latest Royal Blue podcast in association with Sport Payset. I am back on hosting duty. I'm Sam Carroll uh, with Phil Kirkbride taking a well-deserved day off today. I'm joined by Paul Wheelock. Good afternoon, Paul. Hi, Sam. You okay? Gavin Buckland. Good afternoon, Gav. Hi, Sam. And of course, our head of sport, Dave Prentice. Good afternoon, Dave. Good afternoon. We can start with you then, Preno. Back to winning ways. Mm, pretty... Pretty decent win, but not always as routine as a 2-0 scoreline may have suggested. Oh, far from routine. Um, it's, it's funny games like that because ultimately when you see the 2-0 result and it all ends well, you sort of gloss over what's gone before. And for half an hour, it was an awful performance. Oh, it was terrible, yeah. Bournemouth were really, really impressive. I couldn't believe they'd been on the run that they've been on. It was it 11 of 13 you know, yeah. games lost. Yeah. I think, how? You know, playing like that? They pressed well, they passed the ball really well, they created chances now clearly Everson just weren't at the races which is you know so why they're allowed to play like that and whatever Silva said at half time and whatever tweaks he made were very very effective second half performance was much better and you know so ultimately got the job done but it, it was absolutely necessary that victory you know because you know, so as we mentioned before we went on uh, you know we had uh, the managers had like a, a mild telling off from the, uh, the club's majority shareholder uh, about the first half of the season not being good enough. And, you know, clearly there was a bit of tension and a bit of pressure in the air. And can I just say, we were probably quite pleased in the end that we had a referee who was so, so bad because all the crowd ire and all the crowd fume was directed towards him yeah. rather than towards the mm-hmm. team. Yeah. And if anything, that helped a little bit. So all in all, you know, very, very important results. And hopefully with the three points now, that means, you know, they, they can settle down a little bit and start playing the kind of football they were playing pre-Anfield derby. Gather half time. You were you were sat behind me at Goodison on on Sunday afternoon. At half time, we were we were struggling for positives, really, weren't we? Well, all I can say, thankfully, we picked it up for the last ten minutes of the first half. We'd have gone in after forty-five minutes, haven't played like we did for the first day. So you'd think there would have been a lot more uh, booing in general. You know, I'm not saying abuse, but I had is the phrase. Yeah. I think <clears throat> we'd actually picked it up for ten minutes before half time, uh, and. Um, I can only echo what, what Preno said there, you know, second half was far better. I, I think, for me, in some respects, it felt very much like the cup tie the week before, in that, as Preno said, you know, you know, there's a mild drop across the knuckles from Machiri. For Silver, it's a bit like the, the, the cup game is the results important thing today here, not the not the performance. And in, and in some respects, it was, a, it was a similar type game, you know, in that we spent the last five or ten minutes camped on our own half-facing set pieces and corners like we had in uh, you know the previous weekend so yeah it was uh, it was all about the result for me and Paul what what changes did you see from the team in the second half that wasn't necessarily there in the first people like Gilfie Sigurdsson came alive a little bit in the second half Lucas Dean started getting forward a little bit more do you think it's a case now of needing to see that for a full 90 minutes those those performances 
Yeah, the, the football definitely improved, but it was that's not hard given what we witnessed in the first half an hour. But it was just the intensity and the, the desire yeah, it was tempo. just more. It was just yeah. tempo. It was more. Yeah. It was more in your face. You know, we Silva's trying to play a, an attractive style of football, but at times they went direct as well. There were a couple of times in the second half where Richarlison was chasing balls over the top, and I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with mixing up a bit at times. And I think Goodison likes that, doesn't it? You know, we are a patient crowd, and we can see what Marco's trying to do, but we got at them more, and it was just. It was enjoyable. It was like, you know, to the wider world, an Everton 2 0 victory over Bournemouth, you know, people go, oh, it's, you know, straightforward home win. But the second half, it felt like it meant something. You know, it felt like a big victory. And, and as Dave rightly said there, the referee all played his, a big part. And then all the elements came together. And the fear was, like, later on, that it felt like. Bournemouth were going to nick an equaliser, but just that's a second goal. It just, it just, yeah, it was a really good afternoon. Isn't it? It's funny, variety makes a football team so unpredictable nowadays, and it's almost like a, an obsession now with managers refusing to, do, you know, deflect from Plan A. It's almost like they see it as a weakness if what they're doing isn't working. You know, so why should we revert to something else? But you've got to, you've got to mix it up a little bit. If you're as bad as Everton were for the first half an hour, just go along for five or ten minutes and just, you know, so push Bournemouth back a little bit and stop them from, you know, so mounting attacks and putting pressure on you just try and change things a little bit I mean some of the best football you've seen from Emerson teams in the last like 10-15 years was the last year or so of David Moyes' uh, reign when he made no qualms whatsoever about putting the ball into the you know the, the opposite third of the pitch as quickly as possible and then playing lots of really good football high up the pitch and I suppose you know the West Ham game and Sam Allardyce was in charge and everything they only won 2-0 but absolutely played them off the park yeah. whereas you know so the absolute you know sort of highlights yeah. of, of that mm-hmm. era you can do it you can play really good football and be occasionally direct you know you just, you just don't do it obsessively and I think Everton needed to mix it up a little bit more on uh, on Sunday eventually it came good yeah I think I think the thing about Lucas Dean is like when Bournemouth are very much a, a left-sided team, and they, they, they tend to go for Fraser all all the while. That's like that. It's a bit like Forrest under yeah. John Robertson, isn't it? Like yeah. you know, he's their main outlet, isn't he? So the bulk of the first half was placed. I mean, there's probably stats to disprove it. My perception of it was 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 on their left, our right. So we couldn't get Dean in, into the game at all because they had the ball, and if. If it if we won the ball back, invariably we give it back to them yeah, yeah. on the same side of the pitch. So it was only really in the last ten minutes of the first half. I remember saying, I don't think he's touched the ball five times in the first thirty minutes. Once he was playing it right back anyway. It was only in the second half when Plano, as you said, we mixed up a bit. We got the ball out of our like our thirds of the pitch that that <coughs> we got him into the game, and it was a, it was a great. Game. I'll be judging things. It was a great cross for the goal. I thought and stunning cross. Yeah, it yeah was, from at that position. Yeah. And he, I don't think he got enough credit for that, to be honest. But yeah, uh, you know, on on the Italian stuff. But I, uh, I was thinking, in in the context of the game and 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 the season, he's got. A, it was in team of the week. I've seen in a couple of journals and stuff. He's there or thereabouts when you're talking about the best Premier League left back this mm. season. Isn't he? He's, he's, he's in the conversation, isn't he? More crosses than any other you know, yeah. Premier League player this season. In fact, Everton as a club have produced more crosses than anybody else. And that highlights to me a glaring problem at the moment still. And that's the lack of bodies in the box. Yeah. And, you know, it, OK, it's no coincidence that it was a free kick that had broken down, which was why Kurt Zuma was still in the penalty area to get on the end of that. And, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes on as a sub, suddenly there's a physical presence in the penalty area. That's been sorely lacking. And we know it's not going to change anytime soon unless, you know, so Tosin and the ass leave the club and they have to bring somebody else in but clearly it has to be something that's uh, you know thought about and addressed in the summer yeah I think I think that's the fact that our two midfielders tend to play you know 
guy in there. Gomez tends to play a bit too deep for me, and I don't think Gomez gets into the opposition box no. as m- much as many times as what he should be doing um, for, for many different reasons. And I think uh, that's one of the one of the things we need to change, perhaps by changing the midfield. Um, but I think he, he's, we've, I think though we've been on a poor run. If we won three of our last four games, have we? Something like no. that. Yeah. That was our yeah. first. That was no, our well, second, the, second win in nine. That was yeah, including the Lincoln game. Including Premier the Lincoln yeah. game. Yeah. yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And Lucas Dean's been like paramount in those those two wins, hasn't he? Yeah. Two two on uh, two against Burnley, and then um, the cross at a key key part of the game on on Sunday. Yeah, he's had a cracking season. He's been well worth the well worth the investment. Just to quickly touch on the on the other flank, then Paul Phil Kirkbride said to me on Saturday that. Maybe it was a message to Seamus Coleman from Marco Silva to leave him out of the side for a couple of games. How would you assess how Seamus got him? I think he was better than he's been. I think he, he started quite shakily, but he, he was not the only one. And I know at the end when he was getting very nervy, he touched that ball out for a corner, didn't he? When he, you know, he probably with a better touch, he would yeah. have took it out of his feet and cleared. But, you know, in those circumstances, they are human footballers and it was very, very tense at that point. And he wasn't the only one being a bit, a bit rash or maybe his touch letting him down. But, I thought he was solid enough on on Sunday. Uh, it's it's a difficult one to have uh, the James Coleman conversation because you always got to put the caveat of his injury, you know, because we don't know what kind of damage it's done to him, and it it still takes when you're out for that longer period. It, it may take you another season, a full season, before you actually get back to the player he was. But did he deserve to be dropped at the time? Having watched him all season, yeah, why not? You know, we've got a good young fullback there in John Joe Kenny. We probably deserved a chance. If you're asking me who's the best right back at the club, it's still Coleman. So if you if you're kind of uh, intimating there, was it kind of like a bit of a kick up the backside for him? Just to say, listen, you do need to pick up your game. Hopefully, it's worked. I thought he was okay. Similar similar thoughts to to Paul. Or, um, I, I was a little bit disappointed by him to be honest. I mean, um, I was howling when he uh, you know so put that one behind with yeah. the corner later on, and he got forward a couple of times in the first half, but you know with no real end product and he looks like a man who's clearly aware that you know he's not playing his best football at the moment that plays on his mind you know so we saw it from his goal celebration from a few weeks back you know so despite claiming that you know there's nothing going on psychologically there is you know so he knows he's not quite at the levels he was at you know so previously and he can certainly do a lot more I didn't see Massive difference between him and John Joe Kenny's performance, to be honest. I mean, Seamus normally gets forward better and gets better quality in, but that hasn't been the case recently, and there's still a, a lot more improving to come, I think, from Seamus. To move away from the players on the pitch for a second then, Gavin, and maybe think about the Goodison crowd and the atmosphere has been a, a big talking point yeah. this season. Do you think, is it almost a case of maybe a little bit of Nelson Mandela syndrome have, have the Goodison crowd always been this demanding and maybe now with social media and people are more aware what's of- Nelson Mandela syndrome have you ever heard of Nelson Mandela syndrome Nelson Mandela syndrome is where like people misremember things so apparently right. there's this phenomenon where everyone reckons Nelson Mandela died on um, Christmas Island is it Christmas Island the, right. the place he was imprisoned incarcerated for so long yeah, yeah. so there's like a, a, a kind of a section of people who think he died when really he didn't, but it's just the way they've kind of misremembered the him. The kind of people think Elvis is still alive. And no, it's because <laughs> it's not a conspiracy theory. It's that they genuinely think 
you know, that he passed away and he, he didn't come eventually come out of prison. So essentially, have people mis as good as in, in, in your right. times of going to games since we were playing at Anfield in the 1800s? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> the, You're not that, far off, to be fair. Have the, yeah. <laughs> the crowds always been this demanding, or do you think that genuinely, maybe <laughs> since around the time Farhad Mashiri invested so much money, does something need to change with, with the crowd? We've always been clanks, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> just say, Sam's never ch- once yeah. shared the pod and not mentioned that I, my age. That other stadium is always a yeah, good so one. So what, what you, what you, going back to your question, and leaving aside the Nelson Mandela syndrome, <laughs> <laughs> is what you're saying is that, are we saying looking at like rose-tinted spectacles type stuff, or are we you saying... I think, that, I think a lot of people this season yeah. have kind of spoken about is the atmosphere inside goods and the home games damaging the performance on the pitch and, and that's because it's quiet maybe because, because it's, it'd be a little bit negative because it's quiet and I think that too, do we expect too much do we turn to groaning and, and grumbling too uh, early and uh, should uh, should it yeah. be the fans job to get behind the players or do the players have to inspire the fans to get behind the good team question. in the first place good question uh, I think that the, the spectators in the Premier League although we do sort of relatively provide cheap tickets or doesn't think if you're paying a decent amount of money you're entitled to be you should have an expectation of being entertained and getting value for money. Uh, I think with Everton, with the investments, I think you should be expecting a little bit more than that as well. Whether the players have given that over the last 18 months, perhaps perhaps they haven't. And I think if there's any sort of unhappiness with the crowds, I think that's fully understandable in the circumstances. Um, as for creating an atmosphere, it's an interesting one, this. Um, people say, you know, it's quiet. People say, but why is the ground quiet at the moment? It's like, what you should be doing is actually, when it's a bit like raucous, you should be asking, why is it raucous at the moment? Because you, you find out the answers then. And it, eight out of ten times in my experience, it's the referee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You, get, you get great atmospheres when, there's the, when the referee is not given, given a, you know, given sort of judgment in your favour or there's been you know, misjudgments on their side and, and so on. And uh, when you feel, basically when you're feeling hard done by, by the ref, I think it was getting down to, that tends to create the best atmosphere of all. Um, so I think um, that that that's one of the reasons. I do have a general thing, and this is not about Evan, but football grounds across the country is... For me, there's far too much entertainment that goes on before the game now. <laughs> no, the, you know, you know what I mean. It's like you you are not allowed anymore to create as a crowd, create your own atmosphere. You know, people. Yeah. You know, years ago, probably you know this, but it was like there was nothing provided. D- d- different by days, though, I different mean. days. But I know people expect different. But the, the, the grounds I, were full then, an hour before kickoff. You know, same for it, big, it, it for was big chuck, games. Yeah, but, but nowadays we, people, because they got tickets, you know, turn up five minutes beforehand. Yeah. You know, so the grounds empty until we, then. So. We've been a good snow at nine. I've been a good snow at nine, ten thousand people standing up. You know, yeah. well, what I this is a general thing about football, really, and apply not just before the game. That that artificial atmosphere that tries to be Janet be generated by the people who are running the football ground, be it Wembley, Premier League grounds, football league grounds. I think that what that's... So that's, it's a conspiracy? No, no, no. That's stymies <laughs> the natural, the natural atmosphere of the crowd and what they can generate. And I think that that tends to, in my opinion, to, to lead to, you know, atmospheres that are not great because people are not used to generating, fans are not generating, used to generating atmosphere. It's sad, it's People try to do that for them. I, I think 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird the Everson fans because I was just like trying to remember the words of that old nursery rhyme, rat, rat, rattling it down, that uh, when they're good, they're very, very good. When they're bad, they were horrid. And uh, the Everson crowd is like that. You know, so you remember the good ones, you know, the uh, the Chelsea FA Cup tie, uh, Fiorentina, uh, Manchester United, yeah. and Duncan scored. Um, you know, those occasions are memorable because the crowd is incandescent that night and play a huge part in influencing the outcome of the game. But on many, many other occasions, you know, when, when they're not being entertained, when the crowd, when the team's playing badly, they're silent, which is bad, or worse, they're, you know, aggressive and, you know, get into the, the home players and create this air of nervousness. I know Neville Southall always used to talk about, um, you know, when the crowd was quiet, he would always say to somebody, you know, so Joe Parkinson or, you know, Barry Horn or somebody, throw a tackle in, put a really meaty tackle in. And that would get the crowd, you know, so flying again. And obviously everyone remembers the Phil Neville tackle on Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, so for absolutely yeah. inspiring a crowd. You can't do that anymore, you know, so, you know, such are the football rules. You know, you find yourself on a yellow card or, you know, probably, you know, sent off. So you've got to be a little bit cuter. And it's difficult, you know, so football crowds have, have evolved, you know, so compared to what the, the year you were talking yeah. about there, you know, where they were created their own entertainments. And they do the turn off five minutes before kick-off, they wait and sit back to be entertained. And it's only a handful of places you can think of that, you know, absolutely generate this atmosphere regardless, you know, they're proud of it across the park, aren't they? But even they, you know, so have games where it's very, very quiet. Crystal Palace, Palace is a weird yeah. one. That's yeah. always really, really <clears throat> yeah. good down there for some strange reason. And, uh, you know, Stoke occasionally, or, you know, certainly was under the other Pulis days. You don't get many nowadays that, you know, so are absolutely, you know, so behind the team and vocal all the way through. Um, so they rely on what they're seeing on the pitch. And if it's as bad as it was in the first half on Sunday, you can understand why it is so quiet. I mean, it is all sense of spectacles. I mean, I've been in big games and sort of, you know, important matches where the atmosphere is being flat. It doesn't necessarily follow that, like, you know. 30 odd years ago, Mass Terrace, and there was a great atmosphere. It's been, it's been quite quiet, you know. Um, but it, as Pano says, and I think it's what I was alluding to, it's the change in way supporters behave, and it's the change in which clubs, you know, think of supporters. And, you know, let's say the people on the commercial want to try and get as much money out of supporters as possible. That's, so that does involve, you're not going to do that when you're sitting there. You see, half an hour before the kickoff isn't going to be inside the ground buying, buying, buying stuff. So that that's changed things. And um, it is it is that Nelson Mandela syndrome. Whatever, <laughs> those tinted spectacles. I feel like we should do a disclaimer at the beginning. Will I just yeah. explain yeah. what this is? Maybe. Yeah, and and I think football changed in 30, 40 years. And I think I'm not. I'm not. I think collectively, I'm not sure whether it's helped atmospheres of football grounds. In, in that time to be fair no it hasn't it's, it's made it more difficult to generate atmospheres and you know it's like a history lesson that because yeah. you know so football crowds then you had to get there like a half 12 quarter month to make sure you could get in make sure you could see you know what you were you know ho- hoping to watch I've been to games where my, my hips and chest have been absolutely physically killing me because I've been pressed against a, square, yeah. a crash barrier, you know, so for two or three hours. So, you know, you don't want to revert back to those days. So it's going to be difficult to try and generate an atmosphere. I suppose it depends on what's, how important it is, you know, so what's in front of you. You know, so if it's a huge prize at stake, you can pretty much guarantee that the atmosphere is going to be, you know, so lively. If it's a, a nervy home game against Bournemouth that you really need to win, but, the, you know, there's no major problem, you know, so if you don't, it's difficult then to get the atmosphere going. Do you- I just think it's about like what we want to see as Evertonians. There's no question that you want to see good football compared to what we were witnessing on their Sam Allardyce. But, you know, I quite like it when Everton lose the rag a bit. I think Dean threw a tackle in yeah, on yeah. Sunday and Gomez was a walking second booking, wasn't he? But he was throwing himself in. And as you touched on Dave, then like Phil Neville's tackle on 
on uh, Ronaldo all those years ago. And I've, I've got kind of like an interesting kind of, I'm not an interesting take, but I was a season ticket holder for a number of years till 2004. So I've seen the start of the, the Moors years and then I had a job on a Saturday that prevented me from going every week. So it'd be more midweek games. And then the last couple of years, I've been going back with my dad and my lad. And, and I'm absolutely staggered by the atmosphere, the difference in, the in, it, in yeah. 10, 12 yeah. years. Since 2004, I, yeah. Ma- okay. Massively. You really, yeah. Like I, every Every it winds me up so much, and I count myself as part of the problem because I'm not just trying to start singing. songs. Yeah, in the main, <laughs> stand, in the main stands, I don't, you know, don't know if it's going to work too much, but yeah. I'm staggered. And like every week, the one consistent thing is is uh, is this a library? You know, it gets sorted uh, out by every yeah. away supporter. And I just thought on Sunday it was more like the Everton I knew growing up. Yeah. It was. I know it's that cliche bear pit thing, uh, bear pit, but yeah. it was, you know. But And I think the referee undoubtedly helped because he was absolutely atrocious. But I think the way Everton played in that second half, like, and I think Silver's right to try and play this kind of modern style of football that the top managers are doing. But I don't want to lose that identity that yeah. certainly David Moyes gave Everton because I think that helped the atmosphere so much. You know, like, I know Liverpoolians would probably take the mick a bit, like, you know, oh, they've won a corner and stuff like that. But I remember going on the Gladys Street and when we actually won a corner, we felt like, this is a chance. Whereas yeah. now it's like, oh, we're going to be not be the first man. <laughs> like, but, you know. Well, that's because we had Andy Hinchcliffe and yeah. right before that, David <laughs> Thomas. Yeah. yeah. People yeah, like that, but I don't, I don't know. I just... I think something's been lost. I'm, I'm probably not the right man to answer that because I've not been there over the no, years. I think, but I think you are the right because if you had that gap, you can compare yeah. it. I, well, yeah. I, it's every did, week. did you finish your season ticket the year we finished 17th or the year we finished 4th? The, the, year, the year before we finished 4th. What time? <laughs> what time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, think, think you should go stop watch, going again. Yeah. Yeah. The nickname Lucky. Yeah. 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 <laughs> to go watch Wrexham. <laughs> but then, do, do you think then that obviously all boils down then, Paul, to, you know, should Evertonians feel responsible in that opening half an hour to try and create an atmosphere when what they're watching on the pitch, you know, similar to Leicester on Tuesday, it's, it's not great, is it? it? It's hard. As Gav rightly said there, you know, given the fact, the amount of money the players are paid now and given the fact of the, the transfer fees, I think there is a certain part of you that deserves to be entertained because, you know, Gilfie Ziggers, this is not picking up one man 45 million, Richardson 40 million. These are top, top players and you should be expecting better. And to be honest, in the time that I've gone in these like two and a half years, it it just feels like a bit let down after let down. There was the pro- obviously Machiri came in. This is the answer to all Everton's problems. The money's here. This is what unfortunately Bill Kenwright couldn't give Everton. Cooman didn't work out. You know, then there was Allardyce that the misstep of appointing him, and it. I, the, the atmosphere I get is I think people are just nervous generally because yeah. they just they're so desperate for success storms. it's yeah. too many false yeah. stones and that's the kind of feeling I get in the crowd it's no one it was it was edgy wasn't it on, on Sunday yeah. you could tell yeah. around that half hour mark but no one's you know calling for silver or saying mm. this is a load of rubbish there might be a few cat calls and stuff like that but you can't escape I think that kind of that feeling in the air at the moment yeah. I think I, I spoke before about all the changes in the game have been de- to the detriment of the live atmosphere I think the other one is is change kickoff times yeah. different you know you get used to early kickoffs you can guarantee yeah. it's going to be flat you, you know, just get you just get used to like you just get used to that three o'clock Saturday afternoon midweek three o'clock Saturday, you know you get used to a cycle behaviour now if it's Two o'clock and then it's what, what's our last half uh, twelve and quarter past two. I don't think we've had we've a had, three o'clock kickoff since yeah, Cardiff. In, yeah, in, had a couple in, of night yeah. games as well. Yeah. The kickoffs are all over the place, and I don't think that helps in terms of people's behaviour. You know what I mean? Do you, do you also think then in the second half of the season, obviously only Spurs I think have came to Goodison Park so far? Do you think 
a lot of big home games coming up. Liverpool, Man City, Man United, uh, Chelsea as well. Do you think maybe the likes of Dean of a Charles will be looking at the Gladys Street a few times thinking, bloody hell, it's a great atmosphere this. Where's, <laughs> where's this every Saturday? Depends on how the game's going, doesn't yeah. it? You know, so if Chelsea are 3-0 up an half an hour, Man City were 3-0 up an half so, hour and it was exactly, flat, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. So, uh, no, I mean, that, that's a good point. You know, so hopefully, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, the so-called bigger teams, you know, so due to come to good as there will be an automatically, you know, more vibrant atmosphere and that then could, you know, impact on, on the players' performances. Not that Lucas Dean needs anything to uh, motivate him because he's flying at the moment. Richarlison, on the other hand, who you mentioned there, uh, he's been right off the boil for some time now I and mean, we could certainly do with him kicking on again. It's almost like... Uh, do you think he is uh, right off the boil or does he, does yeah. he shoot centre-forward? Bit, bit of both. But, it's a thankless know, task, isn't it? it? You know, the goal he took at Burnley was great, great finish, but, you know, only having just come on as a sub. But I just don't see the same Richarlison that we saw in the first two or three months of the season, you know, when he was a threat every time he got the ball. And that was almost like a, a reflection of what happened to him at Watford last season. And he's a young player, you know, he's still finding his way in, in this league, and, you know, in, in this country. And hopefully it's only a short term thing, you know, because we've missed him. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Do, do you think it's pretty harsh from Preno? I, I thought against, I thought, yeah. especially against Bournemouth, he, he didn't get much quality service a lot aerially that he, he was never entitled to win are you, are you disappointed with Richarlison's last few performances Gov? Um, I'm with Preno on this one yeah I don't th- don't think it's uh, I'm always with Preno yeah what's all these no no I don't think what's helped is like left wing forward left wing forward left wing forward I don't think that that, that sort of helped you but know? I think we could yeah. all agree around this table he's not a centre forward is he? yeah he's not and he's not, I don't think he's a centre forward no. he, hasn't, he hasn't got the you know it, it's it's a completely different skill set playing wide left to centre forward. You're not saying right, okay, play the same as you do wide left, and but play forty yard, you know, thirty forty yards inside the pitch. It's, you, you you've got to got to have a three hundred and sixty degree, you know, uh, field division. Where if you're playing wide left, you've only got you know you're only looking at half the pitch, aren't you? Um, you're going to be up against two centre halves rather than one full back. You're going to be more physical, but yeah, you're going to, the type of ball you're going to get is going to be different. You've got to bring other players into play a lot more. It's a completely different skill set, and you're expected to score more goals. So um, it's a, I don't think that's his best position. I also don't think sometimes his body language is not the best. He, agree. He never agree. he never looks particularly happy on the pitch. I mean, it's, it's just he's getting whacked on the on the back of the head. Yeah, all game. Some, he always looks as though he's being sinned against. You know, he looks like he's for me. Uh, maybe that's a, that's test me the fact that he, he the physicality bit is maybe like he affects him a bit. Um, but he's still got boys. He got nine Premier League goals. Still yeah, not yeah. bad for. Yeah. 20 games or whatever he's played so it's not certainly not, if you look not at bad the, 9 and 20 yeah, goals yeah. No, in the no. context of a season and the time when we've, we've been you know struggling for you know maybe a couple of months within that and it's your first season at a big club shall we say uh, overall I'm perfectly satisfied with his yeah, uh, that's good mitigation I just you know he set the standards so high yeah. in those first yeah. two or three months and, he, and he's dipped below those standards yeah. over the last month or so and moving on to look at another player uh, Adam Ola Luckman Paul his best Premier League performance for Everton in a, in a while, I think. Yeah, probably for my money, one of his his best full stop. I know he's not had many. I think it was only six starts, hasn't he made in the yeah. in the in the Premier League? So it's it's not that much to judge him on. But I thought he was just really bright. I thought in the first half he was the one shining light. You know, as Dave mentioned earlier, I think he put 
at least two decent balls in uh, in the first half but again not for the first time this season no one, no one, was, there. No one yeah. was on the box they were, yeah. they were good crosses uh, and the more I see them the kind of like my opinion of him changes when he first came into the side I expected this flying winger and he's he's a, he's a a lot more intelligent than I, I gave him credit for at first and I think he's quite an interesting player and I'm quite interested in that dynamic that him and Bernard could bring because I thought it was I agree with Phil uh, he said after the game that it was Bernard's best game for Everton mm, yeah. and I thought it was too and I'd, I'd go along with that and I think Theo Walcott at this moment I'm given the way he's mad, been playing yeah. I would be worried yeah no, I think Luckman reminds me in a very strange way of Trevor Stephen uh, in the you know the, the, the kind of football that he is and in the time they took to make an impact on the first team, I mean, Trevor Stephen was in and out, you know, so for quite a long time. After he made a big, you know, three hundred thousand pound back then was a lot of money, and uh, it took a long time before I think the second half of the eighty three eighty four season where he finally started to flourish. And Luckman, similarly, he's had a number of opportunities where you think only fleeting opportunities, admittedly, and you think, but well, has he really got the physicality? Is he has he got the concentration levels, you know, sort of do it for ninety minutes? And for me. At the weekend, there was a sign that, yes, you know, so he has got that, you know, ability to, you know, take it up a, a notch or two, concentrate for 90 minutes, you know, so show a bit of physicality. And yeah, you know, a lot more to come from him, certainly, but, you know, an impressive performance. And, you know, he's, he's nailed on a starter for the next game now. It's up to him to try and keep it going. How impressed was, was you with Luckman in terms of what he offered, not just going forward? Do you, do you think now you've seen a little bit more from him getting back and helping out down the other end as well, Gav? Yeah. Both him and Bernard as well, I think. I don't think Bernard's maybe a little bit more of a liability, as indeed is Gomez, to be fair. I'm never happy when I see him around our penalty area, but that's a, diff- a different uh, discussion. But yeah, I I, I I like to see him helping back, but I, I don't want to see him affecting the game at the other end of the pitch. And I, I think he's done nothing in the last two two games to say, well, well you know, say why he shouldn't be playing. He's, 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 he can have a good run of games, I think. You know, over the next sort of month or two, um, it's just more dynamic. Gets about the pitch a little bit more than Theo. He, he just makes things happen a little bit more than Theo. He, he stimulates the team more than the Walcott. Um, he has a shot as well, which yeah. few yeah. of us yeah. do at the yeah. moment. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, um, he's willing to have a dig. And that's how I'd say he's a bit more disciplined defensively. But I'm not really bothered with that at the moment. So I, mean, I don't want him to be playing sort of deep line midfielder I, I still he went over to the left at some points didn't he in the game I still think he looks a little bit he looks far better suited to the to the left like a lot of right footed wide mm. players do which is another interesting conundrum um, but very satisfied with it as Paul said he was the one playing the first 30 minutes who actually played well yeah. as well which we need to remember which is always a good sign for a player and I think the, the last word on the Bournemouth game because this was quite interesting something I knew nothing about before the podcast and I'll let Preno explain why the win over Bournemouth could be the Kevin Brock moment. <laughs> Do you want to tell everyone about this? That, that's probably overselling it a little bit. <laughs> no, no. We, we were just talking about, um, you know, so what, you know, the, uh, what, what, what we could talk about here during the course of the podcast. And, you know, Gav suggested, well, you know, Bournemouth could be a turning point in the season, you know, so given what's gone before. To which I said, and I was appalled that Sam Carroll didn't know who Kevin Brock was. <laughs> I said, well, January the 18th is, of course, the anniversary of Kevin Brock's back pass, you know, so one of the most pivotal turning points in Everson's history. And, um, you know, for those of you who are as young as Sam, uh, it was a League Cup quarter final uh, at Oxford United, who were a very, very difficult place to go back then. They'd already knocked Manchester United, Newcastle United, and Leeds United out of the League Cup. Everton go down the quarter final. Cold, frosty night, uh, trailing 1 0, eight minutes to go. 
and uh, Peter Reid presses Kevin Brock into an ill-advised back pass. Brock passes the ball back. Reedy turns round in dismay because he thinks the chance is gone. But Adrian Heath alive to the situation, got on the end of it, skated literally around uh, the goalkeeper and rolled it into the net. Great finish. Everton, you know, alive, you know, so got away with the other draw. Replayed Goodison the following week with an orange ball because it snowed that night (laughs) and uh, and beat Oxford 4-1. And, you know, the rest is history. I mean, Sir Philip Carter always said that, you know, Howard had his ultimate faith, had ultimate faith in Howard. He wouldn't have been sacked, you know, even if Everton had gone out of the League Cup, which is okay, you know, so, you know, I totally believe that. But equally, the confidence that that cup run gave that squad of players was absolutely vital. Um, you know, played Villa in the semi-finals, got to Wembley. Uh, were very, very unfortunate to lose to Liverpool, but you know the, the the confidence from that overspilled into the FA Cup. Then you can never ever underestimate, you know, so how much um, a cup run, you know, so can do to a, a club's form and players' form. Won the cup that season, and you know it's funny. Actually, I was arguing on the desk about it a couple of days ago. You know, somebody told me that it was a stats that show um, that cup runs and cup victories do not automatically reflect in a, a successful season the following season. To which I, I said, nah, it's rubbish. You know, so Everton in 1984, you know, became the best team in the country the following year. Man City started the you know saw surge after winning the FA Cup. I couldn't think of any others. Um, <laughs> but you know, to, to me, just the confidence that winning a trophy gives a set of players is incalculable. You know, it really does make a big difference and it certainly did back then so to go back to the beginning Kevin Brock was you know (laughs) a very very significant part in Everson's history uh, as a result of that back pass was born with a turning point. I'm not so sure about that, but it you know, certainly helped. Yeah, it was a Chelsea starter with the League Cup wins in London. Of course, Chelsea as well. Yeah, for a start, you know. So Kevin Brock died on Easter at Christmas Island then, is that right? Or whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I think... <laughs> yeah, I've got it right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to say I'm with Prano on this because I like saying that. No, seriously. <laughs> it, it, not a Kevin Brock moment, but he's, he's seen it for moments in the season, uh, I think, for me. If they've now got a league game and a game against Millwall, you just felt that the second half they've been given an absolute rollicking. I would not like to be in the dressing room at half time there, and they hope they can kick on with that. But it's only worthwhile when if we get a result. I know we'll be talking about it later on the weekend at the weekend, isn't it? But as I say, two wins on the bounce at home, bit of a launch pad, hopefully, uh, for, for the early months of the season. And just to finish, we are, of course, in January, in the midst of the January transfer window. Uh, since last time we, we all convened, Paul Phil Kirkbride reported that Everton uh, have effectively named the price for Cheng Tosin. They're looking to recoup about £20 million for the striker. Also, a bit of Premier League interest in both him and Umar Nias. Would you, would you let them both leave in January and maybe look for if a suitable alternative was, was available? Or do you think it's too kind of late in the season now to be chopping and changing? <laughs> I think the the ass obvious answer is yes. You know, as, as as good a job as he's done, you know, given his limited abilities, yeah, you've got to look him to move him on. Tosin, I feel slightly harsher because he's only been a year. You know, he was brought in. And he's it's a, it's a new manager, but I think that's probably the answer. Really, uh, it just I just don't think he's going to fit this style of play. I don't think he's done anything wrong, but equally. The chances he's got recently, Newcastle at home, wasn't it? And the second half against Lincoln, certainly the second half against Lincoln, I thought this is the chance to show the manager, you know, as well as Lincoln played and everyone gave them the credit for for being as organised they were, there were still more goals in that game and he couldn't put one of those away. I like him, I like his attitude. It sounds like he wants to stay, he wants to fight for his place. It sounds like he's settling the area. All the things that you want to hear from an Everton footballer. But I'm just concerned that he may never fit into, into the team that Silver's trying to build so 
whether they can get 20 million for it, I'm not so sure. January always seems to me, you might get 10 million or so in the ass, but I can imagine another Premier League club might come in for Tosin, but would he want to, would he want to loan him first? I don't know. But my fear is that now he, he, he probably is time's up for him or he's coming. Would you be happy for Everton to cut the losses with, with Cenk, Dave? Yeah, I wouldn't say happy because, you know, you don't, you don't want to see, you know, a clearly, you know, very committed, very professional uh, footballer. You know, it hasn't worked out. You don't take any glee or any delight in the fact that, you know, he, he could be moved on. But I think Everton should be looking at better quality than, than the pair of them. Um, the fact that Marcus Silva isn't using them at a time, you know, so when we're clearly so deficient in that area of the pitch, underlines that he has no faith in either of them. He politely and diplomatically said that, you know, so Cheng Tosin wasn't in the squad just because he was rotating things. And he says, well, you know, Umar Nias hasn't been in recently. Neither of them are in the squad very often because the manager clearly doesn't fancy them. And I don't think they do fit into, you know, so the kind of football he wants to play. Um, they're both done okay, you know, so in the occasions that we have used them. But, you know, Everton Football Club should be having better players than that. It's like the old Dennis Strackwell-Ersey thing, isn't it? You know, yeah. so we loved the guy for his attitude and, you know, his commitments. But, you know, it was a very much a stopgap thing. And Everton should now, given the resources, you know, so at the club's disposal, should be looking at better than the pair of them. Gav, I'll leave the final away with you. If you could have one striker right now. Oh, what a question to leave oh, to the end. Go, there yeah, you go. Yeah. Drop, <coughs> drop that bombshell right on you. One, one Sitting there daydreaming. One stake an hour is available. Dream, well, whoever you want. Whoever you want. Whoever you want. Well, it's an open book, <laughs> isn't it? It is an open book. You've... Within reason. Within reason. Well, so you can't say like Mo Salah or you know, <laughs> Obama Yang. Or... In, in January? Well, or, or in the summer? I'm, I'm mean, trying to buy myself time here while yeah, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. We, we can maybe leave this one open until next time. Of course. Uh, I think... Well, we discounted Batshuayi last week, didn't I? I, I did. Um, don't know. No. I mean, I, I think I would rather... Which underlines the problems they're trying to say. I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd yeah, rather exactly. leave it to the summer. I, I don't think we should be buying in January just for the sake of it. I wouldn't mind the toast and the ass both ones in, in, in January if that was the best deal we could get for both of them. Because I don't think either of them, even if they stay after January, we get much game time. So we might as well maximise the income we can get from them and get them off the wage bill as well which is the other important thing uh, I, I'd, not not in January uh, payment sign in the summer if you were going to say who's, who may be potentially available well as we said before Callum Wilson was, 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 was the name mentioned um, if you wanted the name but I don't whether that comes to to, to fruition I'm not sure well, Rom- we- Romelu Lukaku <laughs> taking back all day long. Is that, <laughs> but seriously, would that be an option? Do you think that would be an option? Depends on who becomes Manchester United manager. Doesn't yeah, it? And, yeah, there's no, no way Lukaku fancy him. Lukaku wouldn't come back to Everton. Whether Everton would then spend the money required to bring him back, whether he would want to come back, it would be very unpopular amongst the large section yeah. of the support base. But yeah, I'm just trying to think of players that you know have come back in the past. You know, they tend not to do so well, do they? Just trying to think of the ones well, that, think that we've taken Alan back. Stubbs. So. Tommy, Alan Stubbs, Tommy Gravison, David Johnson, Tommy Gravison, James McFadden. Um, oh, yeah. I can't think of any that's like really Peter Beagery. Technically, we we let Pistone go, didn't we? And then we for, for the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, hasn't worked out. Well, Wayne is another one, isn't it? Rooney, yeah, yeah. You forget the fact Rooney even played for Everton last season. It was strange. Trying to forget last season, full stop. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> indeed. I, I think so just to wrap up, that, that, it's a difficult. Mm. Yeah. Question to answer, isn't yeah. it? And it you sums can, up. You could, you could have a series of podcasts to answer that question, and we're not. We wouldn't be the only supporters having and uh, having that having that question. Would we? Everybody's after a top class striker. Well, let's hope Marcel Brands has more up his sleeve than the four of us do. We'll be back <laughs> later in the week to preview Everton's uh, trip to Southampton. 
next weekend thank you very much for joining uh, get in touch over on Twitter and the Royal Blue Podcast group on Facebook thanks for listening you've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo